Ruth chapter 4, verses 17 through 22. At the end of the passage, the narrator, presumably with a knowing grin on his face, introduces the twist, the oh-wow moment that a first-time reader never sees coming. Up until this point, the story of Ruth had all the markings of a nice once-upon-a-time fairy tale. A family is in grave distress, but they live happily ever after because the main characters are noble and virtuous. Suddenly, however, the simple, clever human story of two struggling widows takes on a startling new dimension. It becomes a bright, radiant thread woven into the fabric of Israel's larger national history. The narrator informs us that Obed's grandson was David. Yes, that David. The guy who threw down against the giant Goliath. The guy who made Saul look like an amateur puppet king. The guy who took Israel from a confederacy of tribes scarcely able to defend herself against her enemies to a stable and secure empire rivaled by no one and feared by everyone. The guy who wrote half of Israel's hymnal who had danced before the Lord in worship with every ounce of energy he possessed, and who was remembered as a man after God's own heart. The guy who cast such an incredible shadow over history that the promised Messiah was celebrated as the coming son of David. The guy who even now has seen his star become the symbol of the modern nation of Israel and Jews around the world. That David might not have been born had it not been for the story of Ruth. It is a reminder that in the course of leading quiet lives, of being a small light in the darkness, of embodying and spreading the holiness and love of God, the Lord is capable of taking obscure faithfulness and making it a crucial part of His great plan. Only eternity will know the good we do when we live a life that glorifies God. The final verses of Ruth are a brief genealogy, which is a surprising detail since biblical books typically do not end in this manner. The genealogy, however, functions as a now-you-know-the-rest-of-the-story. It also ties the entire book to the narratives in Genesis where genealogies abound. Just as God had providentially orchestrated events in the lives of the patriarchs, He had likewise held sovereign sway over events in Ruth. In other words, genealogies are meant to remind us that God works out His purposes through multiple generations and across the centuries. Limited as we are to one lifetime, each of us sees so little of what happens. A genealogy is a striking way of bringing before us the continuity of God's purpose through the ages. The process of history is not haphazard. There is a purpose in it all. And the purpose is the purpose of God. Regardless of when the book of Ruth was written down, this genealogy would have encouraged Israel to hope and trust in God, who graciously and sovereignly preserved the royal lineage through the dark days of the Judges period. In the midst of abject moral darkness and political turmoil, two righteous Israelites and a Moabite convert lived out the timeless principles of Hesed, and thereby unwittingly became instruments of the divine plan. But the narrator could not know what implications the piety of these characters would have on generations of his own people that would come after him. If only he could have known that in the glorious providence of God the Hesed of Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi would have laid the groundwork for the history of salvation that extends far beyond his own time and place. For as the genealogy of Matthew 1 indicates, one greater than David comes from the loins of Boaz. In the dark days of the judges, the foundation is laid for the line that would produce the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer of a lost and destitute humanity. In the ancient Near East, the seventh name in a genealogical list was a place of honor, so it shouldn't surprise us that Boaz occupies this most important position. What is surprising, however, is that Obed is reckoned as Boaz's son and not as Malan's. Perhaps it is because of Boaz's faithfulness in the story that authentic lines of blood have won out over legal fiction. The tenth place, also a position of honor, belongs to David. If we compare this passage with 1 Chronicles chapter 2, we discover that there are gaps in this genealogy. 
Apparently, the narrator was not interested in providing a strictly linear family tree. For example, Nashan appears to be Boaz's grandfather and David's great-great-great-grandfather, but Nashan lived during Moses' time. There are either gaps in the lineage, or we are to reckon sixty years to a single generation. There is one last detail to observe in these final lines, one that most Christians miss, but any faithful Israelite would notice immediately. If the offspring of Moabites were to be excluded from the assembly of the Lord until the tenth generation, how was David accepted when he was only Ruth's great-grandson? What hope did this shepherd boy have of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever when his great-grandmother's ethnicity disqualified him? There have been many debates over this, scholarly and theological, that have produced several possible answers. Only one, however, makes complete and total sense. Grace.